Hey everyone, what's going on? This is David Avalon with my co-host Robert Drysdale for another edition of Breaking the Guard. On today's episode, we have the founder and creator of MacDojo Life, Robert Ingram. His clips have been featured all over the world, including on the Joe Rogan Experience. And we got uh, the man himself to explain to us what he has deemed is a MacDojo. If you're not familiar with it, he has five tenets which describes it, but basically it's a martial arts academy that's misrepresenting itself either as an actual self-defense art when it's more of an art form, or in this case, the other side, I didn't realize a lot of pedophilia that's going on that's not being attacked, uh, scammy financial practices, and several more. And Robert goes in depth into the various... Uh, research that he's done, including his documentary that's going to be coming out soon, where he does a lot of work on investigating these McDojos and exposing them. And it's a serious problem. I know I highlight some stories of my own personal experiences, because unfortunately, when you're starting the martial arts, you don't know anything about the martial arts. And when you jump into a school and someone says they're a black belt and they have students, you assume they're telling you the truth because you wouldn't know any better. So he goes on to give signs of learning how to avoid bad schools or people who misrepresent themselves. Now, I do have to caution you, there's a lot of (laughs) F-bombs being dropped on this episode. So uh, if you have the children around, maybe you want to keep them a little back. But everything's in good fun. Uh, Had a lot of good laughs and learned quite a bit as well. Robert's a very entertaining character. And uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode, so go ahead and tune in. Before we get started, I'd like to give a shout-out to DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. As you guys probably already know, Robert Drysdale's online video portal is at DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. He has various courses that he's put up there, including from uh, Felipe Andrew uh, with Footlocks in the Gi. It goes over all sorts of footlocks that, again, they work in and outside the gi. But these are IBJJF legal, so you don't have to worry about getting DQ'd when you tap someone out. And uh, he has all sorts of courses. They're very affordably priced, and you can watch them right through your phone or any mobile device with an internet connection. So go ahead, check it out at DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. Hey everyone, what's going on? This is David Avalon here with my co-host Robert Drysdale for another episode of Breaking the Guard. In today's episode, we have a very special guest. His Instagram handle is MacDojo Life. You've probably seen his videos out there being reposted everywhere, including on the Joe Rogan Experience. Robert Ingram, thank you for joining the show. Hey man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So... Uh, I know Robert should probably do this. I know you have a documentary coming up as well. So we got uh, two people here, <laughs> the two Roberts and documentaries coming out. But yours is on obviously the McDojos. Now, just so we don't have anybody in the dark, go ahead and please explain to us what a McDojo is. Uh, well, I have five very specific rules to what I consider a McDojo that basically cover every martial art. Um, you know, because like, 
the little stupid shit to me doesn't matter. Like how long it takes you to get your black belt is kind of arbitrary. Like because there is no standard. It's based off of skill or your instructor and all that. So you can't make that a rule. So when people make fun of that, um, I don't necessarily call that a McDojo. It's just one of many red flags that could pop up. But basically to me, a McDojo is anything that falls under the umbrella of pedophiles. There are over 450 confirmed cases of pedophilia in the martial arts from it was 1984 all the way to 2018. Uh, most of those cases were multiple cases where an instructor would molest children for a very long period of time and multiple ones as well. So it's a huge problem in the martial arts. People always kind of ignore that because they're so busy being petty about who charges what or how long it takes someone to get a black belt that they forget that there are major issues that we're ignoring for the small petty shit. Um, next is a no-touch knockouts or mislabeling technique. So, for instance, obviously you can't knock people out with your mind, right? We already know that. It's pretty funny to watch. What? But believe it or not, there are thousands, <laughs> thousands upon thousands of people who believe this, right? <laughs> demo man come on <laughs> <laughs> but another dangerous mislabeling technique so like for instance if something's like acrobatic kicking which i think is cool as shit right people jump flipping kicking shit like that that's awesome if it's labeled so when it's not cool is when you mislabel it and you take something that's obviously something that's more theatrical and you label it as self-defense well now what you're doing is basically switching the labels from poison to orange juice it's going to get someone hurt and so it's important that we're honest and open with our students about what it is we're teaching them. The next thing would be shady business practices, people who are financially ripping off or taking advantage of their students. That's pretty much self-explanatory. Um, the next is uh, unsafe training practices. Like, for instance, I saw this video of these guys in a martial arts studio boxing with no headgear, with gloves on the street. One guy got hooked, got knocked out, hit his head on concrete and died. Um, wow. so that's unsafe that that doesn't help you. You might be street legit or whatever the fuck you want to call it. But really, all it's doing is you're putting your students in extreme danger, which is not cool. Um, and then finally, lying about your belt rank or your fight record is big. Right. Just don't lie about that, because if you're going to lie about your belt rank or your fight record, chances are good. You'll lie about absolutely everything else you're going to teach people, because that's like question one. <laughs> you know, like, hey, man, what do you teach? Oh, I'm a black belt and such and such, right? So, like, if you're going to lie about the first question right off the bat, you'll probably lie about everything else. Yeah, and I think uh, because we're all involved in the martial arts, obviously, and we've seen people who lie about just all sorts of crazy things. I know I've had people, I mean, the one story I can remember, I had a guy come into my gym to train, and he said that he was an Olympic alternate in Greco-Roman wrestling in Barcelona. And I looked at him, and I didn't believe it, right? He wasn't in bad shape, but he didn't have that aura. You know, like, if you're that type of top-level wrestler, there's a certain confidence that you project, or cockiness, if you will, that would be easily detectable, which was non-existent. So I'm looking at him, like, okay, and we'll fight out soon enough, you know? So we went to, to wrestle, and I was throwing him around all over the place. And I am a high school wrestler, even though a lot of people thought I was in college or whatever. I had never even made states in high school. So obviously, that was BS. You know, that never happened. But people will say that, you know? And I think it's funny, especially when people do that in a situation where they're going to get exposed really fast, like in this case. But I know in, in the cases that you're talking about, that's the more damaging because when you're a new student, you don't know anything about anything. So if a guy tells you I'm a black belt, he's wearing the black belt, he has a school, why wouldn't you believe him? Especially mm -hmm. when you see other people there 
are training that do believe it. So it, it's, I, I, I appreciate that this is a service that you're performing because it does have to be done because unfortunately there's a lot of ignorance in the martial arts, even within our circle. And if there's nobody out there that's, you know, ringing that bell, like, Hey, you got to watch out for this guy. And especially when you're talking about like stuff like pedophilia, that's crazy. You know, that's, it's a lot yeah. of it. dude. Like there was some website I came across too, and it was dedicated to nothing but listing pedophiles who were martial arts instructors. Like, they even put a video online. The video is like an hour and a half on YouTube, and eventually I'll post it. Like, I try to post that stuff sparingly because I like to make my stuff more satirical, so it's kind of funny. But, like, there's nothing sure. funny about pedophilia, right? Yeah. It's like, there's nothing funny about it. So, like, one day I'm just going to post the entire hour and a half thing on my YouTube stories or um, on uh, YouTube, and I'm going to try to get it on as much as I can on Instagram. And just like show people like, look, this story after story after story after story after story of nothing but these people taking advantage of the position that they're in above other people. Because like martial arts is very weird in the fact that there is no regulating body to it like as a whole. So like, for instance, what blows my mind is you can become a certified plumber, right? You can like go to work to clean up other people's shit and have to be certified to do so legally. But to teach people self-defense in which they might have to rely on what you taught them to live or protect their family, you can just make shit up. <laughs> you can be like, yeah, I, I, of course I know what I'm talking about. Look at it. I got the black belt, <laughs> you know? You know yeah. I, I make Dave's words my own, and it, it really is a service. And I'm glad you're doing this because this is something I think that every true martial artist on this planet, they, we feel this way. Here's the problem with this discussion is that when you say something, you come across as a hater. Like criticism <laughs> is not allowed because you're just hating because they make more money than you. Like, no, I have no issues with people that make more money than me. There are plenty of them in the world. Yeah. Zero. I have a literally any other I job. Have, <laughs> I, I have issues with frauds in general. I don't like frauds in general. It doesn't matter which profession there is, not just martial arts. But you're I right agree. about yeah, the, the plumbing thing. Is, it's a great point because our job, you're literally telling people that you can protect yourself from the life of a loved one with this technique. And that should be illegal if you don't know what you're talking about. I, because you're actually putting yourself and other people at risk based off of an assumption that well, that flying spinning kick is going to work. And you're going to teach that some of that like risk grabbing stuff to an old lady and she's going to be able to survive one day. Because the conversation is not an honest one. It is guided by financial interests. And that's what clouds everything and stops you know, a serious discussion for me. And it actually it drags the name and reputation of martial arts in the mud because of these people. And I agree. Like, you brought up something that is a humongous point. I don't know if you meant to do it, but you definitely did it. So it's, it's a good point, though. So the thing about the martial arts is it's already a niche market anyway, right? Not everybody does martial arts. I think that it's something that most people should at least try one time to understand kind of like firearms right I, i'm of yep. the opinion that i think even if you don't like firearms you don't go out shooting every day i still think that to protect yourself especially if you have some type of physical disability like if you've ever trained or taught martial arts before you know you get people that come across your door who have cerebral palsy who have met uh, physical conditions or ailments and no matter how much you teach them they will always be at a disadvantage so I'm of the, of the mind that they should be able to be prepared with a firearm. But with that said, I kind of went off on a tangent. <laughs> I think that once you start teaching martial arts, you realize how much of a niche we are inside the niche. 
So martial arts as a whole is already a niche market because not everybody does it. But inside that niche is karate and taekwondo and judo and aikido and kempo. And uh, you know, the list goes on forever. And inside each one of those niches, they all think they have it right. Karate's better because of this. Jiu-jitsu's better because of UFC. Fuck you. We already proved it. Blah, blah, blah. And there's all this <laughs> internal fighting. And it almost always boils down to what you said. It makes you sound like a hater because of financial reasons. So when I started McDojo, I put down five specific rules that had nothing to do, almost nothing to do, with bettering me. Fuck me. Who cares about me? And who cares about the specific art? It's all about five things that we can all agree upon as a team instead of hating on each other and going, well, I kick your ass. Like, okay, well, that doesn't solve the, the problem or the argument. So financially, one of the biggest problems in the martial arts is we like to label things as a McDojo because of money alone. Like, you're like, oh, that guy's financially successful, so he has to be a McDojo. Well, that's not fucking true. It's not even close to true. It means he's financially successful because he took what he learned before and just followed the same path with money. Like, for instance, if you're in the martial arts, jiu-jitsu, for instance, you have an instructor above you who you'll call your professor or your master or whatever, and you learn from them, right? But then all of a sudden, when we open up a martial arts studio, we go, you know what? The thing that I did, the exact same path of learning from someone before me who knows what they're talking about, ah, fuck that. I'll figure it out on my own, right? And then when you financially fail, you point the finger at the guy across the street and you blame him. You go, oh, he's stealing all my students because they're charging less. Oh, because they're a McDojo. Oh, they're just ripping people off. That's the most asinine thing I've ever heard because the martial arts is supposed to be the opposite of that. When you fuck up, you know who you blame? You. You made the mistake. You got caught in the armbar. You got caught in the rear naked choke. You didn't put in the reps or the time to make sure you defended that the way you should have. But then when it comes to business, everybody tosses around McDojo like that's the thing. Well, the problem is, is up to this point, nobody's really given it parameters. And I think that that's important. We all need to be on the same page as to what that is. And most of the time, it's something completely illegal, not because someone's doing financially well, but because they're doing illegal, shady shit that will get someone hurt or killed. Uh, I totally agree with you. I feel like you. There must be a story here, Robert, of how you got involved with this because <laughs> I can kind of smell <laughs> that it's there. I know I can share mine real quickly, which isn't a McDojo story per se, but it is a little bit of the illusion sometimes that you get. Because I remember the first martial art I trained in was Jeet Kune Do, and I got into it because I saw Bruce Lee movies. I'm like, oh, Bruce Lee's the man. I read the power of Jeet Kune Do as a 13 year old kid. And I thought, man, this guy's a guru. He's very wise. And I want to learn the art that he did. The idea sounds cool. And I went to training the school. And the, and the guy who ran the school, very nice, still friends with him. But it was more of the art form being done versus, like, this is going to be a competition or even, like, a self-defense scenario. And my brother and I, we had trained for, like, a year straight, doing private lessons, came to every class. And oddly enough, this school was mostly older People like they were all in their 20s at least, you know, usually like 30, 40. And we were like 14, 15. We're like an anomaly, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, once my brother and I started getting competitive, I remember we were doing Kali and Eskrima in there with the stick fighting with the bamboo. And my cousin had a kendo sword. And I'm like, oh, I want to spar with you with the kendo. And he's like, okay. And I was trying to do the trapping and the gunting, and he just couldn't get whacked in the head. Like, pow! <laughs> and I could never find the stick, you know. And the reason why we never sparred in the gym, all yeah. we did was pad work and like katas, pretty much. You know, we we're just doing forms. We never sparred. And the second awakening, 
my brother had a girlfriend who came from a Taekwondo family, all black belts, like the brother, sister, mother, dad, everybody. And they sparred regularly. And they were very good at Taekwondo. But they challenged my brother, oh, you should come to a sparring day. And we both went, we're like, oh, we're going to show these guys, you know, who's boss. I'm phase two in Jeet Kune Do now. And uh, we went there and got our asses handed to us. And like the, the highlight of the evening was my brother getting sidekicked by a 50-year-old into the wall. Gets, and he slides down the wall like the cartoon with a painting falling on top of his head. You know? <laughs> and at that point, we're like, we're done with Jeet Kune Do. And we ended up going into wrestling and that migrated into the whole thing. But yeah. the whole thing was that we were sold this uh, idea that we were in a art that was going to be street applicable. And it wasn't, you know, it is a beautiful art, but it wasn't the same, you know. And I guess there's varying degrees of the McDojo. And obviously this is probably not even there. We just probably don't know what we're getting into. But tell, tell us, Robert, like what got you into starting McDojo Life? Well, I mean, I got... I started when I was 12 years old, like martial arts, and uh, I was born with a cleft palate, so I have scars on my face, and I was constantly going to school and getting picked on, because I was in and out of the, I mean, I had so many surgeries before I was 16 years old, it was ridiculous, um, and then, so I'd come to school with swelling on my face, or new scars, or new stitches, and so I got picked on all the time, and then uh, I actually got hospitalized by a group of kids that jumped me. And so they beat the shit out of me for like five minutes. And the, the worst part was, is like the only reason I know it was five minutes is because of the bells for class. So the bell rang. They started beating the shit out of me. Um, then the next bell rang. That means you're supposed to be in the next class. And they, they beat me that entire time. Taking a five-minute ass whooping from a large group of kids is sucks ass, uh, needless yeah. to say. And I've had my ass beat a lot over the years. I mean, come on. If you're in the martial arts, you've taken an ass whooping or two, right? But, like, this is the worst. And the worst part about that was two teachers stood there and watched the whole thing and did nothing about it. There was some type of a rule where the truancy officer or the officer on site was supposed to be the person who broke up fights. But lucky me, he was across the campus breaking up another fight. And so there I was getting my ass beat and teachers were afraid to get sued. It was ridiculous. And so I, um, I started martial arts, like, the next month. Like, I had asked my mom to do everything. But uh, my friend, uh, who was late to the class, thanks, homie, uh, he showed up, picked me up, and handed me a card and took me to the nurse. And when he was walking me there, he handed me a card and said, you need this. And uh, I, I looked at the card. It was for karate. Um, and I never stopped since. I've been doing martial arts ever since. Started in karate. Uh, you know, I got a taste for that. Started boxing. Did kickboxing, of course, because that's a natural progression of going karate boxing and then why not? I can kick too. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> and I've always been mediocre, to be honest. Like, you know, I even got onto an international kickboxing team called Team Full Circle. We traveled internationally and kickboxed on Waco, NASCA circuits and stuff like that. And that was never great, but I always loved it. And I loved teaching. And I, I thought that it did way more for me. Of course, that's cliche, but I thought it did way more for me than teach me how to punch and kick people. Um, I've been doing jiu-jitsu now for over nine years. I'm I'm a purple belt, so that goes to show you how mediocre I am. <laughs> you know, but um, I love it and I I truly enjoy it. And so, when I started McDojo Life, I was coaching jiu-jitsu. Uh, I was a blue belt, and I was substituting a class because my instructor was very sick. He said, "Hey, dude, man, just come in. Like, I don't feel well. Just run them through a drill or two, and then let them spar the rest of the class, and just just supervise." So I was like, "All right, fuck it, I'll do that." Went in. I uh, did that, and then after class was over, it was a noon class, uh, we all sat around, we shot the shit, you know, chit-chatting, talked, we started talking about McDojo's, and there was a new guy there who didn't say a word the entire conversation. It was like his second class ever, um, and then everybody left, and he stayed back, and as I was about to lock up, he goes, hey, man, can I ask you a question? What's a McDojo? And I was like, oh, well, it's, I gave him 
what has now become the blueprint for what I consider the five rules. And um, he goes, huh, well, how come nobody does anything about that? And then I said, I don't know. <laughs> and then he left. And then the, the next, that whole night, I couldn't stop thinking about this shit. I was like, this motherfucker's been in two classes, right? <laughs> and he's brought an epiphany to me. Why doesn't anybody do anything about this? And I thought about, like, the other things that were already out there. There was already, like, a Bullshito was already yeah. out at the time, and that was a big thing. But Bullshito, at, at that time, started an evolution away from just martial arts and became, like, bullshit of everything. Yeah. Um, and even during Bullshito's, like, heyday... It, there wasn't any ever solutions brought up. It was always just like, let's just hate to hate. I was like, well, that doesn't actually solve a problem. Like, we have a major problems. We have major issues here. Why don't we address those? And I started off doing these long-form essay kind of shits where I would, like, go and really do deep, deep, deep research and type out these long— because at the time, Instagram didn't exist— so I was just doing these Facebook diatribes of like, all right, well, this is bullshit, and that's bullshit, and here's some bullshit. This guy lied about that, and he lied about this. No one fucking read it. I mean, I, I maybe had 50 followers. No one gave a shit. And then one day out of nowhere, I was like, you know what? I don't have time to, like, sit here and dig into another, like, long article. So I just posted up this, like, old video. I don't remember what it was. Some comedy martial arts skit. And my shit, like, doubled in size that day. I mean, we're talking like I had been doing this shit for like a month or two. And then all of a sudden I post something that's just irrelevant and funny and it blew up. And I was like, motherfucker, I put in hours and hours and hours of work giving real legitimate research. I copy and paste and my shit doubles. And so I was like, all right, well, maybe there's something here. So I started making it a little bit more satirical. And now it kind of has the format that it has now. I don't say much. Uh, maybe put a couple words up there. I toss it up and I let people have their own thoughts and opinions and ideas. And it, I, I noticed that it kind of makes it so that way it weeds out people on their own. People have their own open ideas and discussions. And now it's a little bit more of an open discourse than me telling people how to think, me telling, because I, I shouldn't have that ability. Like I shouldn't be telling anybody how to think. People should think on their own. But what I can do is I can guide them and say, hey, man, this guy thinks he can knock people out with his mind. If you believe that shit, that's on you. But at least I'm telling you what he believes. You know, and that seems to have worked. I mean, right now, I think we're over 300,000 followers on Instagram, uh, 23,000 followers on YouTube. Um, and I'm just kind of figuring it out as I go. The hard part, which sucks, is I'm the only fucking guy doing it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, uh, can, can, I, can, I, can I give you some, like, an idea? Because you, you mentioned the Bushido, and I had heard of them. And you point out a good, something very, like, very coherent. You go, well, they don't have a solution to the problem. Have you ever considered maybe organizing some kind of martial arts union that, you know, certifies instructors. I don't know. I mean, even at the government level, I think that you, you got to get certified for just about anything. I remember in Brazil, for you to teach, like, any kind of sport, like swimming, basketball, volleyball, you have to have government credentials. You can't just go and teach it. Oh, I've been playing basketball my whole life. It says who? Where are your credentials? Like, yeah. and, and martial arts, more than other sports, in my opinion, because it has contact, right? You get a business license. Like in Nevada, we have what we call the privileged business license, which is the same license a masseuse has because you're touching people, right? Yeah. But it's not enough because it's not just the fact that, okay, the person's not a pedophile. Okay, that's great. Congratulations. But it's also it's also the, the, the knowledge, like where do your credentials come from? Like in IBJJF's defense, like they have made an effort to so like you have to have a certain amount of years per rank, which makes being ranked a lot harder so you can't 
rush your way to a black belt and have your certificate on the wall. But I wonder yeah. if there are ways that we could organize this and, you know, attempt to give it more credibility because you're right. It is a problem. Like not everyone is qualified to teach, but the audience, the public is not educated enough to tell the difference. So I've, I've had this come up a lot and it's a fantastic thought. It's a very difficult one for myself to kind of navigate. Like I, I've been doing this for nine years. I just got to the point now where I can hire, I hired somebody to do my podcast. Right. So I was like, all right, I don't have fucking time. But um, what I've kind of noticed is if you don't wind up self-regulating, the government will do it for you. It always happens that way. And so that's my biggest fear is, I, one, I'm terrified to be the person in charge of that shit. I just really am. I, I really am. Like the, the burden and the weight that that would honestly carry to basically give people the check mark of legitimate or not legitimate is a very difficult one because even like I've had people schools closed down. I've had I've had people like called out and go went from five star schools to one. Like I I it really is that alone keeps me up at night thinking did I fuck up? Did I make a mistake? Did I ruin that person's life by an accident? And so do I think there should be some standards? Yes. Do I think there should be a governing body? It would have to be so played out and thought out that it would have to cover every martial art. So, like, it, when, for instance, when we're looking at jiu-jitsu alone, right, the IBJJF has done a good job in certain respects, and they fucked up other things, but that's just heavy as the crown, right? You're going to do yeah. some things right, you're going to mess up other things. But how does that affect karate? And how does that affect every version of karate? How does that affect kung fu? And how does that affect every version of kung fu? But for instance, Indonesian Salat, for instance, has over 200 different versions of Salat. 200! And that's just Indonesian Salat. That's not including Eskrima. That's not including Arnis. That's not including any of the other various Filipino martial arts that are out there. Um, you know, even JKD, for instance, has different branches, right? Here, here's a fun one, right? So Paul Vunak, are you guys aware of who Paul yeah. Vunak is? Yeah. So Paul Vunak is like a legend in Jeet Kune Do, right? You got like Rick Tucci, Dan Asanto, Paul Vunak, right? Um, uh, Eric Paulson. Right. Eric Paulson is a black belt under Dan and Asanto, also a fucking legend. Right. That dude knows Paul Vunak. Paul Vunak was famous for going around bars and literally picking fights in the street in these bars to test technique. Um, Eric Paulson was somebody who was literally there when he did some of these things. So that's like on record that that guy was apparently legit in what he did. Obviously an asshole. Right. Because <laughs> like, why the fuck are you just beating people up in bars? Yeah. But still, he tested what he did. Then you take something like that and we fast forward to now and you see he's made fun of all the time. Like people make fun of like Paul Vunak all the time. So you're almost at the whim of public opinion. So I think that before we really should work on making that like what the standards are and all that shit. Right. First, what is wrong? So we already established some of the things that are wrong. Next, we need to start educating the public so that way they stop feeding the bullshit. Because that's really the issue right now, like you said, is there are a lot of public people in the public who just don't have a basic knowledge of martial arts. So they don't really know the difference. They don't know what the difference between karate and taekwondo is. They don't know the difference between jujitsu and sambo if they saw it, right? They, they might not know. And so I think it's important for us as martial artists to start pushing that information out there, right? Really trying to educate the public and not just the people who pay us. And that's kind of where the major issue is. is that, hey, you pay me, I'll give you all the information you fucking want, right? I'll teach you how to kill people with fucking hands. But if you don't, fuck you. It's kind of how it is, right? If you do something other than what I do, I don't care. I'm not going to teach you, 
right? Instead of saying, hey, man, look, there, this is good for that. It's not good for this. This is where the range of combat applies here. It doesn't apply here, right? You get a Taekwondo guy, awesome. He's going to kick the shit out of people, right, with his legs. Put him in a boxing ring, he's going to get fucked up. Put him with a Muay Thai guy, he's going to get clenched up. You put him with somebody like a, a wrestler, he's going to get taken down, right? But these these are all ranges. And so when people join martial arts, I don't truly think that they quite understand and grasp the the range in which they're trying to, to accomplish or like what they're really trying to get out of it. They're like, I, I want to lose weight. I want to learn self-defense. So they join a boxing gym, right? And then they get there. And they get the shit beat out of them by somebody who's a pro fighter. They never take martial arts again, right? And it's like because they didn't know the difference between a casual boxing gym and a pro boxing gym. They just don't know. And I think that's the real issue. That's the hardest part. But, yes, I 100% agree with you. There should be a regulating body. The hard part is how do you regulate every martial art all at once? Yeah, it is a tricky thing to do, especially, as you say, because it's – it's somewhat subjective to like what you think is a street effective, right? That's going to be like the standard of what makes uh, this martial, martial art legitimate. Because or, as or you, you said something I kind of want to touch on, not to interrupt, but like it doesn't even have to be street effective. It just has to be labeled properly. Right. Like if you're doing like acrobatic kicking, you're doing that for fun and you have no intent of learning self-defense, that's fine. As long as you know that that's what you're getting yourself into. But if the guy lies to you and he's like, yeah, we're going to learn this backflip, <laughs> you know, like you kick. Know, one thing I was just thinking about is like Dave said something about that he went to wrestling, right? And then it, it's something I've been noticing more and more because, like, mainly because of this this research research I've been involved in regarding the history of jujitsu and martial arts in Brazil. And there there is a certain air of mystique to everything Asian that just people in the West just eat it up. Like everyone from India with an accent and speedos, speaking of being a guru, like is automatically rich in Hollywood. Like it's it's because like they have this air of like I have this wisdom that you in the West don't possess, so let me show you the mysteries of the East. Right? It's really an article of curiosity and lack of understanding that here, like there, we're all people, and we're all messed up. Right? We're not that different. Right? <laughs> but we look at a lot of these guys as like okay, clearly if you're Asian, you must be wise. You know, is it's like the Mester Miyagi thing in our head. Right? Even in Brazilian jiu-jitsu circles, like Keenan was making that point. Like yeah. She, <laughs> English with an accent and you're from Brazil, you're automatically good at jiu-jitsu. Not the case. <laughs> but people assume that. Yeah. People assume that you get away with it. And I think there's an air of mystique to, to martial arts that allows a lot of frauds to, especially in with Asian martial arts, to get away with it. Like in wrestling, that wouldn't survive. Like Brazilian jiu-jitsu is it's it's only like partially Asian. It's very Brazilian in a lot of ways. And Brazilians are like like Americans and they're very Western in the sense we're like, okay, show me. Roll with me. I want to see how good you're. In wrestling, you can never get away with that. If you show up to a wrestling practice at a university showing, like, your incredible moves, but you're not going to wrestle with anyone, people are going to get, get the hell out of here. Like, <laughs> you better you better show me. you got to wrestle. What are your credentials? People have, like, in the West, they're going to be more, you're going to be scrutinized in a way that I think that, like, martial art practitioners and instructors of Asian martial arts, they get away with it for some reason. And I think it really is, it comes down to, a Western ignorance towards the East. And that space is where these people thrive. Have you heard of a guy named Xu Xiaodong? No. He's he's the one, I believe, that's fighting the traditional martial artists in China, correct? He is. Yes. yes. He's, uh, yes. he's going around and he's challenging these kind of, I guess you would more consider them like the woo-woo type masters, the guys who believe in the no-touch knockouts and stuff. And 
it kind of shows you how deep the uh, the delusion is because they're accepting the fight. Like, yes. these guys are, like, 60, 70 years old. This guy's, like, I don't know, he's in his 30s or 40s. He's he's a pretty strong dude. I mean, yeah. he's, he's an, he is an MMA fighter. He does uh, train uh, jiu-jitsu. He's, he's actually phenomenal. I like watching him kickbox. I think he's a pretty good kickboxer, uh, mostly because he, like, hits, like, a, a fucking brick. But <laughs> when you watch him fight these old Chinese masters, they truly believe that they can fight him and win because they're accepting it. And yeah. so, like... They have the opportunity to hang out and and hide behind the mysticism. They have the opportunity. They could say, nah, if I fought you, I'd kill you. I don't want to do that. But Uh, but you know why that is? I'll tell you why they accept it. It's because they believe their own BS. Like, there's something about, like, for you to best, but really in order for you to tell a lie convincingly, you have to first convince yourself of it. Because otherwise you give yourself away. You're going to give cues to the other observers that, in fact, you're full of it. So the mind is like one great BS machine. For you to best BS people, you have to assimilate that belief. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So these guys are assimilate. They believe it. That's the only way they can convince hundreds and, and thousands of students around the world that they, they know what they're talking about. And just like your own experience, like dealing with a lot of people out there, you get this, these people, they walk up to you and they start speaking with confidence and they look you in the eye and they tell you exactly what you want to hear. And there's no trepidation in the voice. There's like there's eye contact and there's that that assertion from the body language. You go, this person knows what they're talking about. Mm. But that right there happened because they have first convinced themselves of their own BS. Right. right. And the more and people you convince, the more it empowers you. It's like a downward spiral yeah. because yeah. You, they're like, oh, but a thousand people believe it. Then it is true. Clearly, you know? it must be true. Yeah. And I have like I actually have a name for it. Um, I know that it's fucked up, but it's true. I call it the Steven Seagal syndrome. And so, like, if you look, like, if you really look at Steven Seagal's career, right, when he started the martial arts, I think he had the best of intentions. I think he truly just wanted to be a good martial artist. Now, the martial art that he picked, whatever you think about Aikido, you think about Aikido, but he did take the time to learn it, right? And then he winds up teaching, I think, either a producer or a director or something like that. And the guy goes, hey, I got a movie I think you'd be great in. And he winds up doing the movies, right? And then he's, he starts to feed the ego that he already had. And then he gets surrounded by these people who feed it with him, right? Oh, you're the best. You're, you're the greatest. And he's not the only person to have this happen to him. Elvis yeah. Presley had the same thing happen to him. Surrounded by yes men, people kissing his ass, convinced him that he was the best thing best thing since sliced bread when it came to Kempo. But he was full of shit, right? Which is, which is sad, but it's true. Elvis Presley sucked ass at karate. Sorry, fuck you, Elvis. You messed that up, all right? But like... <laughs> It's great it's, music it is though, what it is, right, man? That's the king of rock and roll there. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He, he, he can melt your. He can. Oh, he got. He got the. He got that part down, right? Just because you're full of shit on one thing doesn't mean you didn't rock about. people's face off with another thing, right? But <laughs> I digress. But like, if you look, right? You, like, you get surrounded by these yes men, and after a while, they just keep convincing you and feeding your ego. Oh man, you're awesome. You're the greatest. They want to be around you because you have that fame. So they think that if they talk negatively about you, that you'll be they'll be excommunicated. They won't be allowed around you. They won't get invited to the party. They won't be able to hang out around the famous person. And so then all of a sudden you get somebody like Seagal, who truly is so delusional. He thinks he taught Anderson Silva how to do a fucking front kick. Like that dude never did a goddamn front kick in his life until he met Seagal. Yeah, like, get the insane. fuck out of here. It's you know? You know like, can we take a second here to uh, give uh, – so I can give my thoughts on Yes Man? Yes, men in general. I, I, I think that they're like, they're just cancers in our life, right? Like, I can't stand these people. 
Like they try to wake, make their way. What, what's so disturbing to me is how quickly they're accepted. It like you, you have to be completely blind not to see that this person is just telling you what you want to hear because he wants exactly he wants to make his way into the your network, right? Like like Elvis is a huge target here. Like that's I think one this is one reason why I think a lot of like celebrities they lose their shit is because they 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 can no longer surround themselves with people they can trust, and they surround themselves with a bunch of leeches. And these people just want to drain them. It's by feeding them what they want, you know, what they want to hear, it becomes an addiction. So you become addicted to hearing the things you want to hear. And this is, it's, it's everywhere. Like I, 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 people like that bother me. Like I, I like to surround myself with people that tell me what I need to hear. And even if that hurts, I'm like, hey, thank you because you told me the truth, right? And I tend to be like, I try to be like that with people. It doesn't, you know, it's not always, it doesn't always go well. But like it's, it's, I think that's the way we should, we should be ought to behave. You know, I think that there's a, there's something, there's something like it's it's a it's a lesson that we're refusing to learn, right? But when a yes man comes along, he just keeps reinforcing it. Becomes something like an addiction, and we can't stop ourselves from hearing that, you know, that pat on the back and getting that receiving that that uh, recognition. Sometimes it's completely incorrect. We go along with it. You know, it's funny as movies like show you sometimes things that you don't really pay attention to in real life. <laughs> you know, like sometimes you'll watch a movie and you'll see a scene and you'll be like epiphany how the fuck did i not see that and it's because like movies are based off of real life experiences and people's thoughts and ideas right and so if you look at movies the number two right you always have the king and then you have like his his guy that he always goes to for advice right and then you have like the the master and you have like that guy who always confides in don't none of those people are ever yes men <laughs> they're, they're always the person telling you yeah i think you fucked that up you're like ah oh, damn it yeah. you're right you know, so you know, like I, I saw this a lot in MMA where I was able to see this. I could see like I followed the rise of the career of so many of these guys and the people who had the uh, um, the people who were surrounding themselves with. Yes, man, you can see that they start making really bad decisions in their careers. A lot of times it was like like the dad or the wife or like sometimes it's just like friends. And they're no longer like making the right decisions because they're being influenced from, you know, from the outside. But I think we have a tendency to lean towards people like that, but it's, it's very damaging. Like it's, and it's everywhere in the case of martial arts. I think that, you know, it's, it, it's exactly what leads to people like exactly like you said, like Steven Seagal believing, right. That, that he actually could teach Anderson Silva something, but Anderson Silva's to blame too. Because he, <laughs> he let it ride. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a celebrity. He knew it was going to go viral. He knew it was going to go viral. Everyone was going to watch it. He gets his, you know, his, you get some you know, some uh, 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 some clicks there and some views and whatever, but I, I think we got to call these people on their shit, man. It takes a matter of like it's even if it's damaging, you just got to call these people on their shit and like, hey, man, you don't get to. I, I mean, I, I would not let Steve Seagal teach me anything really. I, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'm being honest with you. Like, I'm sorry, bro. You, I mean, I'll, I'll lean from just about anyone. Like, you're not in a position to teach me. You're an actor. You're not a fighter. You know, it's, maybe that's well, terrible. But well, from my understanding, he was actually like, as uh, Robert, you were saying that he was actually a very well accomplished Aikido guy, and he was like one of the first Americans to actually teach in Japan and all that. I'm not sure how far that I mean, goes. There's a lot I've always of heard that story. Stories. So, yeah. you know, it's funny because you were talking about like calling people out, and like that's basically what we're doing with our documentary. Is like. Just going down the path of like those the five things I talked about earlier about what I consider a McDojo and just kind of showing people that side. The the really shitty part is you can't damage the martial arts without doing that. It's like literally impossible for me not to show these things to talk about the issues without damaging the martial arts. But I'm hoping 
that by doing that, what will happen is martial artists will start checking other martial artists much quicker, Yeah, you know, rather than letting shit ride. Like the hardest part right now, politics, right? And anybody who's ever been in the martial arts understands that there are martial arts politics, right? I can't talk about this guy because this guy knows that guy and that guy is involved with this organization and will fuck up my school. Or I can't talk shit about that school over there because it makes me look bad. And financially, it'll wreck me because it just makes me look like I'm hating on them, right? And so um, I'm hoping by like not being affiliated or associated with fucking anybody, right? Which has been was step number one, right? It doesn't benefit me. How does it benefit me? Like, you know, obviously it, it does allow me to have a brand and a name and shit like that. That's awesome. But at the same time, like, I literally can talk shit about anybody who deserves it. Right. And like, it, it is a, like I said, I try not to take advantage of that position. I do think weigh those decisions heavy because I don't want to fuck up people's lives for no reason. But if, like, for instance, here's a great one. Warriors Cove. Have you guys ever heard of Warriors Cove MMA? It sounds very familiar. All right. We're going to keep walking down this path. How about a guy named David Arnbeck? No, 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 no. Oh, we're getting all right. Cool. So David Arnbeck runs a place called Warriors Cove. It's uh, okay. Warriors Cove MMA has three different locations, right? He's a third degree black belt in jujitsu. He molested a 15 year old girl in his home. Now he took a plea deal, and during that plea deal, um, he was not he did not have to be put on a sex offender registry because of the type of plea deal that he took. He's still teaching children today. He still runs three martial arts studios today. Did I mention the name Warriors Cove MMA? I'm just making sure I didn't skip. It. <laughs> All right, David Arnbeck. No. So okay. if you if you look into this kind of stuff though, right? Why is that not a bigger deal? Yeah. Why is that not called out by the instructors, by the parents, by the by fucking teenagers there, by the neighborhood, by the local businesses? But no one fucking cares. No one cares. No one. If you just type it online, right, he even dedicated an entire website. He made a website called DavidArnbeck.com where he clearly admits guilt, but he says because. And that's all. Well, that just makes all the sense in the world. You were drunk. I get it. You diddled the kid. Oh, we let it pass. No, we fucking don't. And so as martial artists, right, we can all get together and we can raise uh, uh, one of the martial arts studios that I know, a 10th planet in uh, – planet in la i do believe burned down during some the riots long beach. Yeah. long beach thank you yeah we raised enough money to rebuild that from the ground up like right. that it was literally a couple days their fundraiser went up they rebuilt it like that but yet we can really see in the news that this motherfucker right here has molested a child and pled guilty to it and yet we over years it's been years now nothing happens like, get the fuck out of here. What it is is what we care about, what it is that we put our effort into. And we don't seem to give a fuck about right as long as our students and our schools are going to grow. All right, man. I got an idea for you. All right. I'll, I'll be in. All right. Let's make a T-shirt that says, let's make Dojo Storming legal again. <laughs> That's the to all our problems. Because, right, you know, so, we will take justice <laughs> for our hands. We just show up and fuck it up. Like, we just, like, destroy these guys on the mats and we expose them. Right? Let's make so, Dojo stay illegal again. Because that's, I, the, that's how you expose these guys. You beat them up. So, I, I don't agree. <laughs> I, don't agree. <laughs> I know, I know. This is where people, like, get pissed off at me. But I'm just, I gotta, I'm, like, we talked about before, I'm not a yes man. I, I just don't agree. Why I don't agree with that is because I don't, like, again... Labeling and mislabeling, right? 
I don't think that if somebody signs up for an Aikido class and the Aikido instructor is being honest with you and he says, look, dude, it's like it's going to help you with your movement. It's going to help you like get off the couch. You're going to have some friends, maybe a mentor or two. It's not really going to help you with self-defense. But if you enjoy it, try it. I don't think we should kick that guy's ass because he's being right. open and honest. If you go fuck up a dude who's teaching Tai Chi in the park to 90-year-old people, right, and he's being honest to them, that's cool. And so what I've noticed is people in my comment section mostly – oh, bless you. People in my comment section mostly are all about kicking everybody's ass who doesn't teach legitimate self-defense. I'm all about kicking the guy's ass who's lying about it. Right. I think that that's the kind of shit that they need their ass whooped. Do I think that every dojo who doesn't teach the thing that's best at self-defense should get beat up? No, as long as they're not lying about it. You know, if they're doing acrobatic kicking, man. Like, I want to see another John Wick. <laughs> you know, I'm going to need these stunt performers to be healthy and alive. I'm going to need the yeah. guy to take the fall. Right. So but I, I, I do think it's funny because like one thing that we are doing in the documentary is I'm traveling cross country. I'm going from Jacksonville, Florida all the way to Fresno, California. And on that trip, I'm stopping at different dojos and at different people's spots. It's not a part of the documentary, but it's just extra content. But once we actually get to Fresno, we start filming in August. We're going to be talking about pretty much everything we've already discussed, honestly, in detail with statistics and doctors to figure out the psychology behind how people fall for bullshit, even though it's clearly bullshit. Uh, we're going to be talking with ex-cons. Uh, one is a uh, really famous um, if you want to know who that is, uh, you probably already know who it is. There was a TV show back in the day where this guy would call out frauds for money. Um, he had like a Amazing Randy. So the Amazing Randy had like this check that he carried around with him. And anybody who claimed that they had supernatural powers, he would call them out on it and he'd be like, look, I got a check in my pocket. I don't remember for how much, but it was a lot. And he was like, if you could prove that you had supernatural powers, he would give you the check, right? And one of these guys that he winds up doing, it was like this Kung Fu master, right? And the Kung Fu master believed that he could blow or like he could move pages of a book with his mind. And he got called out on national TV. That guy after that show, right, goes on, uh, winds up getting busted from molesting five kids. Real story. After he gets busted from molesting five kids, he goes on the run and he winds up booking himself on Sally Jesse Raphael. <laughs> he books himself while on the run from the police. Of course, immediately after the showing, he winds up getting busted and booked. That guy is only an hour away from our production studio in a mental hospital. And so he, he like molested kids. So he's got like he checks almost almost all the things off. He did an interview back in the day where he admitted to being a con man and a fraud, where he convinced people he had these supernatural powers of Kung Fu. Right. He had a couple thousand followers over the years and stuff like that. Um, James Heydrich is his name. That guy we're going to be interviewing because he was a con man who convinced all these people of his supernatural ability. So we can actually listen to him and find out more. How did he do it? Like, how, what were the tactics? What did he use? And hopefully that'll help open up the average person to listen for these things and go, oh, I think this guy's doing the same shit that guy did. I've heard this yeah. before. This isn't new. And hopefully we can help the average person. The other thing is we will be going to different martial arts studios and telling them, hey, you believe you can knock people out with your mind. You believe you could pressure point me in the arm and knock me out. Do it. Here's the arm. Go for it. I, I'm pretty sure by the time I'm done with this documentary, I'm going to be beat up just from people slapping me all the fucking time <laughs> trying to knock me out. But I've been doing this shit for a long time, right? I've competed at a high level. I've gotten beat up at a high level. I've won at a level sometimes. <laughs> Every once in a while, right? I know what it takes to knock me unconscious. 
And me being slapped in the fucking arm or hitting spleen six in my ankle ain't going to do it. And so when I offer the opportunity for these people to do it in an open discussion with no violence, I'm really curious how they react. Because most people, when they do it, they're like, oh, I want to fight you. And they always back off. I don't want to fight you. I want you to fight me. Prove it. Prove it. I'll stand here and I will allow you to hit me. Go for it. If you can't knock me out, though, you basically admit that you're a fraud. If you choose not to do it without hostility, you're admitting you're a fraud. It's a lose-lose situation. All I have to do is get the interview. Once I get the interview, it's over. You know what you should be doing in the meantime, though, is the martial art that specializes in getting hit. I forget which one that is. <laughs> I, I saw a video of one of these guys. I'm, I'm sure Robbie said, I think they're like yellow bamboo or something like that. Oh, where yeah. They, where they oh, focus yeah. on like getting hit to the nuts in particular. They seem to like that. And they had one guy, I think it was a K1 kickboxer. Enormous dude. I mean, the guy was just so big. And I think he was like an American, the new American gladiators against this middle-aged dude. I mean, he's big, but like nothing special. And they measured this guy's kick force. And I guess in the first kick, it was like 1,000 PSI, you know, which is a tremendous amount, you know. And they're like, are you sure you want to do this? So like, yeah, yeah, I'm confident in it. This guy gets blasted, and he actually kicked the guy harder. at like 1,100. The guy didn't flinch, man. Straight on that. And, the, and you see the guy who kicked him? He's like, bro, I felt the two nuts. That, that was a <laughs> He's like, there was no bone. There was no cop. It, I felt it all in there. Hey, Dan, so, yeah. you want to teach, teach that class at the gym? <laughs> the instructor. I was just recommending it. I'll be a student. <laughs> you, got, you got a student already. Well, I'll say, it might be practical name. for you, Robert. If you're going to let these pressure point masters out well, there. Well, we've... We, you know, we've been really fortunate, man. Like we have a uh, Kenny Florian is going to be joining us, and he's going right. to be doing some stuff with us. Um, Mike Beltran, because who's okay. seen more fights than a referee? You know, and so we're gonna have. Who else do we have, man? We have a uh, uh, Kenny Florian. Uh, Dave Leduc has agreed to be in the film. Oh, nice. We have a uh, Robin Black who's agreed to be in the film. We have Kit Dale who's agreed to be in the film. You can um, get out of it. You don't need kid in there. <laughs> but we have all these great people as subject matter experts from all these different martial arts who have been in combat. And that's the important thing, right? Like if these people are teaching combat, all right, well, these are real people who've done combat. Or like even like Mike Beltran um, like and a couple of the other referees, right? These guys have seen more fights than most and closely than yeah. most of us will ever see in our lifetime because that's their fucking job. And so if you're going to talk about somebody who's a subject matter expert on watching what they know is effective, why not talk to a referee who is there all the time, literally face to face with a fight? Why not talk to a psychologist, you know, about like what it what it takes to be able to withstand, uh, you know, like what they call heart. Right. What is that? Right. And like certain shit, needless to say, you can teach, but certain shit you just can't fucking teach. For instance, like the effectiveness of jujitsu. Everybody knows that jujitsu is a very effective art. It's been put on what I consider it started the martial arts renaissance that we're currently going through, in my opinion, because of the UFC. UFC happens. Jujitsu is put on a platform. They fuck all these dudes up. Next thing you know, everybody wants to learn UFC or, or, or BJJ. <laughs> now, <laughs> sorry. You sound like a McDojo coach. For ah, a there, Damn you words. <laughs> so everybody wants to learn BJJ, right? Now, what that did was all the other martial arts, in order to keep up, they had to do two things. 
One, they had to develop a ground game and a ground defense, but also they had to elevate their art if they wanted to be on the platform and be able to hang with jujitsu. So you see guys like Stephen Thompson, you see guys like Michael Venom Page, you see people like GSP, Akiyoku Shen Black Belt. You see all these guys, right, who elevated their art so they can hang at the highest level. Like Michael Venom Page, how many double legs you see him shoot? Yeah. <laughs> Done. You're right. He's like moving around. He knocks people out with sport karate. Everybody laughs at that shit until Stephen Thompson starts whooping wholesale ass. And everybody's like, whoa, we laughing at the karate guy. Then he kicks me in the face. Maybe I should learn that, too. So all these arts are always evolving. Right. Some arts are choosing not to. And those are the ones that are going to fall to the wayside. And I think it's really interesting when you hear people talk about, like, what art is the best? <laughs> like, we're not dealing with arts. We're dealing with ranges of combat. And what you're really dealing with is people who are effective at taking that range and handling that range, right? You take Michael Venom Page down, if you're able to, and you get him to the ground, I highly doubt he's going to do well on the ground. But the hard part is he's so good at defending that range and being in that range and manipulating that range that getting him to the ground to choke him out is very difficult. And so, like, it's, it's, it's cool to see all these evolutions of the martial arts, right? It's cool to see them evolve because jiu-jitsu has done so. Jiu-Jitsu set that that pace and said, yo, we're going to keep evolving. And it continues to do so. You got like EBI, right? EBI is another little step in an evolution. It's like, all right, well, we have Jiu-Jitsu, right? Let's do combat Jiu-Jitsu. Let's add open hand slapping, almost like a middle ground from Jiu-Jitsu to MMA. It's like almost like a stepping stone. And it's yeah. kind of cool to see all these arts having to evolve, but they're really evolving because of the renaissance that we're in. And the only reason we're in that renaissance is because Jiu-Jitsu started it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I, we appreciate you. Yeah, I think it's partly because there's actual communication now, right? Like, and what I mean by communication, the arts are talking to each other. Before, you remember, it was like the UFC was like a style versus style thing, right? It was like uh, jujitsu versus karate, taekwondo, boxing, sumo. And those arts never talked to each other before, right? Like, we never had a sumo guy work with a karate guy before in, in a public stage like that. And What's nice about the UFC, those early ones, it was an honest conversation, right? And what we found out was jujitsu beat the hell out of it because nobody put time on the ground where they thought it was irrelevant, right? And the more that, and I think in general, combat and sparring is always very honest. Mm. And you find out very fast where the holes are and where they're not. And once we start being more, and I think this is an analogy for life, like when you're honest with people, like when, when you have yes men filling up your ego, you're not getting the truth, and there, and that causes a breakdown later down the road, right? And the same thing with the martial arts; it was very dishonest because, you know, the the I remember my I tell you my brother's ex uh, wife came from a taekwondo family, and I remember their older brother was our age. And he was a taekwondo black belt. He would compete. He always said, you know, I can't train with you guys because I do one step sidekick and I break your ribs and kill you, right? <laughs> and and he believed that, right? But it was not an honest conversation. He didn't know that. It was just a story that he had fed himself, and he never exposed himself to being to having actual combat, right? And now that mixed martial arts, which I think because jujitsu had the dojo storming and the Gracie challenges, they had that culture of we're going to bring it to you, and you're going to have to learn the hard way what's going to actually happen when we fight, you know? And the UFC just elevated that to a whole nother level, which got everybody's interest, and I think now. It's not such a big deal to have these conversations anymore in the forms of fighting. Everybody's used to it. And it makes everybody, like you said, has to elevate the game because now everybody's like, we're one fight away from being exposed. You know, we got yeah, And I think that even the average up. person now has a much better grasp 
on what real combat looks like. Yeah. You know, I think back in the day, like you would see people who would like lie. They'd be like, don't mess with me, man. I know karate. Like you don't really get that as much anymore. But like yeah. the average person, like I'm not saying everybody, right? But I'm saying anybody who's like an avid MMA fan, they might not ever train. They just like to watch it. If I asked them to show me a rear naked choke, I'd say 50-50. Some of them would get them, some of them would get it right. Even without ever training jujitsu, they would just kind of understand the basics just because I think in general the average person's knowledge of what a real fight is, is elevating. And I think that's awesome to see, you know? And yeah. I think that it also is a little bit more dangerous for people who don't know what the fuck they're doing because if you start talking all that shit, even some, which has always been true, some fucking regular dude off the street can whoop wholesale ass just because he's naturally gifted with abilities and attributes, right? He's strong, fast, big, aggressive, you know, he's willing to pull the trigger when he needs to. Um, but now you get that and they have basic understanding of what a rear naked choke looks like, basic understandings of what a guillotine choke is, right? All that stuff. You don't necessarily need a lot of training to understand, you know, against a regular dude who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. I think that's also a part of the evolution of martial arts that we're going through right now. You know, like, um, I think it's a beautiful thing, but at the same time, like, it's almost like technology. How, what is it? Technology triples every so many years. Like, it yeah, just keeps so compounding on itself. I think martial arts seem to be doing something very similar yeah. where they're, like, advancing and advancing advancing. And the guys that you're seeing now, like the Bruce Lee conversation, um, everybody's like, how would Bruce Lee do an MMA now? Oh. Well, it's like, well, that's apples and oranges, dude. Like, Bruce yeah. Lee in the 1970s was somebody who started, like, the first cell phone, and you're asking him to compete with a fucking smartphone now. They're two different things, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a crazy argument, but it's really interesting, you know? Um, sure. Hey guys, uh, I gotta get going. I gotta, I gotta be somewhere at three. We had one of our fighters just signed with the UFC. Sweet, uh, Max. Yeah, uh, Max. He just signed, so we're gonna go train him now. He, uh, he's got a short fight notice. He's fighting on Saturday. Uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Austin Hubbard, I think. Hubbard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. And uh, yeah, so we're gonna go get him ready. So I gotta go. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, Rob, listen, man. Like, uh, I wish you the best of luck with your documentary. Let's catch up on the phone sometime. Maybe I can. Show me some of my experience with my own documentary, and we can we can talk some more. The more, the better. The more, the yeah, better. Yeah, and uh, man, you're really doing something great. Like I just think that this is something that is necessary, and it's 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 needed, man. Like you're doing a good service for the martial arts community as a whole. So keep it up. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And Robert, let the people know where they can find you online. Yeah, man. If uh, well, it's pretty simple. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, if you want to look at any of our original content, all of our original content is put on our YouTube channel. Uh, where I do breakdowns of these videos, where I tell you who these people are, where they're from, and all the information about them. So that way you can stay away from them, or you can make your own educated opinion on what you think about them. Uh, also on Twitter. Um, and if you really love us, we do have a Patreon. Although I'm not going to give you anything for it, but it's just like, yo, man, here's a buck. Keep doing what you do. It's appreciated too. But uh, yeah, man, documentaries coming out. You can check that out if you really want to be involved and learn more about the documentary. It's McDojo Life, D-O-C, on Instagram. It's a closed group just for people who have supported the page. Behind-the-scenes content, all kinds of original content. Um, you'll even get little clips of the movie as we're making the movie. Um, so I definitely suggest if you're really into it, you really want to learn more about what we're doing, go to McDojo Life or go to McDojo Life, D-O-C, on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you, Robert. Well, keep so it up, Rob. And, uh, yeah, let's just do this again sometime, man. I'll, we would love to have you back at some point, maybe when the documentary is out. We'll, I love it. We'll, we'll, we'll watch it and then we'll, we'll do another one. Hell yeah, man. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Well, everybody, take care and we'll see you on the next one. Deuces. 
Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you guys want to learn more about the McDojos and Robert Ingram, you can check him out at his Instagram at McDojo Life. That's MC Dojo Life. And you can also find him on YouTube at, again, McDojo Life. And uh, like always, if you have any comments, feedback, suggestion, you know, send them our way. And if you can like and share, that would be greatly appreciated. And until our next episode, hope you have a wonderful day. I'd like to give a final shout out to the Kimura Trap System. As you guys know, that's my baby. That's <laughs> what put me on the map. You guys can check it out at KimuraTrap.com. It is a six DVD course that now spans over 11 hours long, 110 page ebook, mind map with free updates that happen online through our membership site, FFA Coach. Uh, pretty much if you want a submission that you can count on from any position, whether you're a bottom player or a top player, guard guy, half guard, side control, mount, back mount, side, uh, kesekatame, standing, Pretty much every position in combat, you can use the Kimura. And when you realize that the Kimura is not just a submission hold, but rather the most powerful grip that you can have, especially in Nogi, it's a game changer. And that's what the concept of the Kimura trap is, is the Kimura as a grip. It's, the, it's not the end, it's a means to an end. So you can sweep people with it, you can take them down, you can pass their guard, advanced position, and of course you can segue into other submissions. Most people have seen the common entries all over in the internet now. Uh, you can see hashtag Kimura trap everywhere. Like People shoot the single leg, get the Kimura, flip them out, get the TV position, and switch to an armbar or a back take. That's very popular, but that's only... The tip of the iceberg, there's so many more ways you can use it. Just besides the TV position, there's a ton of attacks that a lot of people don't know about because they just watch the YouTube clips or Instagram clips and that's all they get. Again, the course is very in-depth, again, 11 hours long. There's a lot to learn there and a lot of little details. So go ahead, you can check it out at KimuraTrap.com. We offer it in four different ways. I mean, first you can get it on DVD or online. And then we have an intro course, which is only seven bucks, whether you want the, a DVD version or online version of it, which has about an hour and a half or so, I think, of content, which gives you a teaser of what the system's about. And then you can get the full course at, uh, again, kimoratrap.com. So go there and visit now, and you can learn all about it.